You're listening to New England Take, WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Be sure to follow New England Take on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, as well as the occasional TikTok, if I'm feeling so inclined. Uh, today, <laughs> I've got a uh, first-time guest on the show, Aaron Kindle. He's from the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, he's the Director of Sporting Advocacy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, AJ. Appreciate it. So we're going to talk about a recent report that the National Wildlife Federation has put out. But before we get into that, what does the uh, your organization do? Yeah, National Wildlife Federation is one of the oldest and largest conservation organizations in the country. We've been around since 1936. We have 53 state and territorial affiliates across the country, uh, which actually form a true federation. And so they help determine how we conduct our work and vote on policies and resolutions that that help guide our way and uh, we've been doing it for a long time and and we're in new hampshire and everywhere pretty much across the country yeah it's uh outdoors uh like hunting angling sort of activities like that correct yeah conservation so i mean that that runs the gamut from you know we have a program where we help people conserve pollinators. You know, pollinators are such a big deal. We have a gardening for wildlife program. We have hunting and angling conservation programs. We work on public lands and, and federal policies. So runs a gamut. Anything you can think of as far as conservation in the outdoors, we do in some form or fashion. Now, to get into the meat of it, the sure. your a report's been released. I mean, what's the basis of the report and uh, what, what was kind of the, um, the reason for creating it? Yeah, well, I think the reason that the impetus behind why I really wanted to do it was because as a hunter and an angler myself, I've seen some changes out there on the landscape. And I know a lot of people who have, and I also understand that, you know, wow, if you think about it, hunters and anglers are some of the few people who return to the same landscapes year after year, observe wildlife, observe fish very closely. I mean, it's part of the activity. So when you're doing that, you're gaining this really deep knowledge for what's happening out there in the field. So I've always thought, you know, who better to tell these stories and to be the ones who advocate for the kind of things we need to see than hunters and anglers themselves. So the report's titled, uh, excuse me, titled A Hunters and Anglers Guide to Climate Change Challenges, Opportunities and Solutions. And what we're really espousing is, is taking the opportunity to both address climate change, but while we're doing it, improve hunting and fishing. And so the main premise is, is restoring and investing in natural re, uh, infrastructure. And that, you know, that's things like uh, restoring streams and waterways and, and rehabbing wetlands and, you know, degraded mine lands and, you know, logged forests, things like that. If you can restore those things, you can actually mitigate the impacts of climate change and create better fish and wildlife habitat. I, I greatly appreciate the framing of the report it, it seems You're like you, it, was, it was it was really well thought out because i i don't care what side of the political aisle you're on i don't care what side of the climate change debate you're on it's obvious there are changes going on in the climate especially when you're looking at the united states and regardless of the cause of it there are obvious industry perspectives that are greatly influenced by it i've talked about it extensively with um uh jeff feingold from the new hampshire business review with like the the ski industry i mean they're they're hurting bad and when you get further away from the tourist the traditional tourism industries like you start getting into the fishing you start getting into uh, just general conservation of the forests, there's obvious change going on 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it with the ski industry. One of the things we're seeing, I, I'm here in Colorado, and one of the things we're seeing is, you know, snow that fails to persist for three weeks later into the fall, and then snow that melts off three weeks earlier in the spring. And that's a trend that's been going on for some quite a few years now. So it's something that they're starting to plan for and expect because they know that that's, that's what every outlook is pointing to. As someone who's more interested personally in hiking and camping and such, the the lack of the cold winters has led to more virile mosquito and black fly seasons in this part of the state, as well as ticks, which have just caused ticks. so many issues. I mean, they're, they're the absolute worst, and they're everywhere. I remember growing up, I'm from central Maine, and you occasionally like check yourself for ticks. Oh, okay, once every five years you might come across one on you. They're everywhere. Every season you're going to come across ticks now. Yes, sir. And, you know, we do a, a podcast series called Vanishing Seasons where we take authentic sporting voices and we explore what's happening in their particular area or, you know, in the ranges they hunt and fish. And in the northern ranges, both in New Hampshire and we've done another one in Michigan, we talk a lot about ticks, uh, you know, the prolificness of, of ticks and, and how much they have increased. I can't recall the exact statistics, but it was something like a 40-fold increase in the in the folks uh, coming in with Lyme disease in Michigan when we talked with those folks. And then the one in New Hampshire, you know, it, it's it's really a big deal for moose. Uh, when, when the moose get infected with these heavy tick infestations, um, those moose, they, they lose weight. They can't feed as well. Their calves don't survive. And so you've seen a big moose population decline there in New Hampshire as a result. And that's a very fragile ecosystem when it comes to moose because there can only be so many of them in a certain amount of territory. It's uh, You think of grizzly bears. It's kind of similar when you think of moose because they're so large and they're very territorial. Yeah, and another thing that's interesting about moose is they really prefer to feed at under 57 degrees Fahrenheit. So when it gets oh. above just 57 degrees, they slow their feeding cycle. So if you can imagine what most ungulates do, deer, elk, moose, they feed heavily throughout the summer to put on body fat, and then they burn away that body fat throughout the winter. So if you can imagine if it's in the summer and it's 57 degrees, you know, over 57 degrees quite often, they don't gain as much body fat. And then while we're seeing shorter winters, one of the other things you're seeing with climate change is more extreme events, which means things like a, a huge cold snap might come way early, and then it's warm for much of the rest of the winter or a big rain event or things like that. So if one of those cold snaps comes along uh, for a moose that hasn't put on the appropriate amount of body fat, uh, that could really spell you know, doom for moose as well. What other aspects have you seen um, be really hit hard by the, the recent changes to the climate? You know, uh, as far as hunters and fishermen are, are concerned, um, the, the warm water for cold water species, you know, trout, salmon, those are all cold water species. And we've seen across the West this year, unprecedented temperatures and closures of fishing. Uh, what they call in Montana, they call them hoot owl restrictions. And it means you're not allowed to fish after two in the afternoon. Wow. And that has happened on some of the most famous rivers, the Gallatin, the, Gallatin, the Madison. Here in Colorado, the Colorado River closed for a while this summer due to temperatures too hot for trout. So if you can imagine both your opportunity to fish and then all the businesses that rely on uh, anglers coming through, be it restaurants or hotels or guides and outfitters or fly shops, all of those folks took a huge hit this summer. And it continues to happen. They're considering a permanent 
afternoon fishing closer on the Jefferson River in Montana, another famous fly fishing river that they will just permanently close it now. Uh, so if th things like that happen, these are real time changes we're seeing as sportsmen and women. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a very small threshold day of um, between being solvent and not when it comes to a lot of these um, these rural businesses like that. Sure. And, you know, if you want to relate it to New Hampshire specifically too, brook trout are your native trout there. And brook trout, uh, they need cold, clean water too. As we know, they're a cold water species. And one of the things you're seeing in New Hampshire is, is the shrinking of brook trout habitat, right? Because as soon as the water hits a certain temperature and trout usually pass 68, 70 degrees struggle, uh, water temperatures. And one of the other things is, is, the, the competing trout, like a brown trout or other fish that aren't native to the area, can handle warmer temperatures. And so what you'll see is the brown the brook trout habitat shrinking up into the watershed, while the brown trout and other different non-native and invasive species come up the watershed further and further, which means, you know, your native trout there, there's less and less of it and less and less place for it to, to survive and thrive. So... At what's the outlook according to your report? Is it catastrophe? Is it glimmers? Is it shifting industries? Uh, what did uh, what did you look at, and how did you come away? Yeah, I think the main thing that we're trying to do is it. It's a call to action. It's saying let's get on the bus and and let's use these, as I said, these authentic field experiences that the hunters and anglers have as part of the architect for these solutions. And for instance, you're seeing things like the, the bipartisan infrastructure package. You're hearing about budget reconciliation. You're seeing things where they're considering, Congress is considering investing in uh, natural infrastructure, as I mentioned earlier. And if we can get some legitimate investment in these things, they are going to pay dividends down the road in both mitigating climate and, and, and creating fish and wildlife habitat. So it's a kind of a win-win for, for hunters and anglers. And kind of, as, as you mentioned in the beginning, it doesn't really matter what political stripe you're from or, or whatnot. If you like good fish and wildlife habitat, these things will benefit you, know, you and the things you care about. And really another important distinction here is it is an investment. We hear about spending, but when you're talking about mitigating millions and millions of dollars of flood damage or hurricane damage, if you're talking about coastal restoration or, you know, forest fires, you're investing in those things not happening and then also not destroying built infrastructure. So, uh, you know, you can imagine if you put in a wetland, which about one acre of wetland uh, holds about 1 million gallons of water. So if you put in one acre of wetland and the flood happens in the upper watershed, as it comes down the watershed, that wetland slows it, controls it a little bit more. Then the bridge downstream, for instance, doesn't get blown out by a big flood. So it is an investment, and I want to make that distinction very clearly. Another prime example that's really uh, been hitting a lot of headlines the last few years are the forest fires that you're seeing out west. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of that, especially in California, is due to lack of management of those forests and making sure that old wood is cleared out and allowing controlled fires to happen in the correct way. Yes, sir. And in, in both those packages, we at National Wildlife Federation had, had advocated for hazardous fuel mitigation and management of forests and restoration of forests, right? All of those things, both pre-fire and then post-fire too, are going to help 
mitigate climate change. If it doesn't burn down, it gets to store that carbon. And then when it does burn down, if we can get those trees back on the landscape, get those streams restored, we're going to do better with any future events. Speaking with Aaron Kindle, National Wildlife Federation's Director of Sporting Advocacy, uh, they recently released a uh, guide, a hunter's and angler's guide to climate change. Uh, so continuing on that, I mean, what sort of other work should are you do you predict having a big impact going forward? Obviously, I, I don't foresee much going that would affect basically in the next year or two with any direct changes you make. But over the long term, you're definitely going to see changes with a lot of things you suggest. Yeah, and I think one of the things that most of all is just to get engaged, right? I think you, again, when you alluded to this earlier, the sporting community, hunters and anglers have tended to shy away from the climate change conversation. It's interesting now, though, you're hearing more and more people kind of come out of the woodwork and say, you know, this is weird. This is not how it used to be. Uh, You know, in in New Hampshire, I, I spoke to that gentleman I told you about, and he's talking about out there on the, uh, I can't remember the bay's name. I'm sorry. There's a bay that folks used to ice fish just a ton right there in New Hampshire. It's a, it's a, you know, an estuary type bay. It's they, they ice fish for, for marine fish there. And now you can't go out on that ice a lot of the winters. And so you, you think about things like that. These are lost opportunities. These are lost traditions. And, and if folks like that can tell those stories, they're very powerful. They mean a lot to decision makers. I think we all know that folks in Congress, they sit there a lot of the time and they get lobbyists and all these other folks. And it's just kind of business as usual. If you get a regular Joe or Jane in there telling their story, this is how it's impacted my life. And this is, this is, you know, I can't take my kid fishing there anymore. I can't carry on this tradition. That means something. Those are powerful stories. And, you know, beyond that, get involved with your local club. There's folks doing uh, restoration events that where they need volunteers there's folks uh, helping educate other people in the community. There's a lot of good things happening out there. Um, so it's really just a call to, to use our intimate knowledge and get engaged and tell people what we, ha- what we know. Uh, what are, do you have any suggestions for like uh, on a day-to-day basis, like what people can do or stuff they can maybe do around their property if they happen to have a house that's kind of that's outside of the city? I'm speaking to you from Main Street and Concord, so I'm not I'm kind of a poor example of being able to do that. Uh, but growing up in rural Maine, I definitely did. I mean, what do you uh, what suggestions might you have for those people? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you could always do things to, you know. Uh, take your use down whenever you're using energy. Uh, that's a big thing, right? I mean, every time we need to get energy from somewhere and it's fossil fuels, that adds to the to the issue, right? Um, you can do different things. If you're a gardener, you can do permaculture type things where you, you know, you save your soil and you, you can actually store carbon in your soil doing permaculture practices. And so, you know, doing things like that, keeping, uh, if you need to do some forestry on your landscape, you mulch those mulch those trees and leave those on the ground instead of haul them away you know those kinds of things hold moisture in they keep the they keep the uh, organisms in the soil things like that all of those things will create better conditions for the things that you know the fish and wildlife that we care about and the ability for the, the landscape to be resilient i feel like especially you, you just mentioned this a few minutes ago but the 
the more immediate effects that we're seeing of climate change, where it's affecting the pocket a little bit when it comes to the, a lot of the, especially mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, with the tourism that we definitely rely on in this state. We expect all these leaf peepers to be coming up the, these last few weeks, um, which unfortunately hasn't been great, although pretty leaves blew away already. But um, it, I feel like it's beginning to hit people in their pockets will be very effective for people wanting to reach out and start figuring out the best ways to move forward. Yeah, and I think you know, it, there's going to be a lot of opportunity in uh, in in adapting to climate change. You know, those entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about, hey, this is going to happen. What kind of niche can I fill with a business opportunity or idea? Those are those are good things. You know, one of the other things we're advocating for is a civilian uh, climate conservation corps. Many folks might remember the the conservation corps from back in the 30s. They did a lot of the great work. If you go around national parks and other things like that, you'll still find buildings that those folks built. And a lot of the veterans that are that are out there still alive from those are very proud of that work. And they're they're really national treasures. And what we're saying is, why not create a modern version of that that both puts a lot of people back to work and does some of the same work I'm mentioning uh, earlier. So I'll have you plug your podcast again at the end here. I'm super interested in checking more about that. But uh, where can people check out this report and learn more about uh, the National Wildlife um, Federation? Yeah, uh, we have a a page dedicated to our hunting and angling climate work, and that's at nwf.org backslash game changer. And there you'll find all of our uh, sporting uh, climate podcasts. They're called Vanishing Seasons. We've done six or seven episodes now. We've also got some short films in there with uh, hunters and anglers from around the country, some archived reports and, and this current report that we're talking about here. So there's a lot of resources there. And then NWF's, uh, you know, main website is nwf.org, pretty easy. And then we have nwf.org backslash outdoors. Outdoors is our hunting and angling program that, uh, that I take care of. Got about two minutes left. I mean, are there some big pad? Speaking from your industries, you do advocacy, so I'm assuming you do a lot of outreach. I mean, is it? Have you seen a big change over the last few years in the wake of like you see your Joe Rogans, you see all the the especially these bow hunters out there really getting a lot of social media attention? Has it been uh, helpful for for you to reach out to more people now that people are a little more plugged into uh, hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors in a kind of different way that maybe they weren't before because it wasn't really in the new media realm as much? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, it's like anything, right? Generational changes happen. I think the generation you're seeing most prominently in the hunting space these days is, you know, typically kind of started considering some people don't like hunting and fishing. It's kind of not that old codger thought, well, if they don't like it, well, you know, damn them. But these days, uh, folks are starting to acknowledge that and address it. And I think it's the wise thing to do. I mean, Hunting and, and angling are, are beautiful things. They're something that we've done for all of human history. And uh, if you espouse doing it the right way and you emulate the, the appropriate action when you're in the field, show people that way, you respect people who don't do it, then, you know, we're, we're going to get somewhere and it's going to be the right way to move forward. Um, and so, you know, just like anything else, there's going to be a lot of different opinions on things, but uh, you do it with respect, you do it with grace and, and you represent yourself well. And, and then people start to listen. I think we're seeing a little more of that. Aaron Kindle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, AJ. Appreciate it. Aaron Kindle, National Wildlife Federation's Director of Sporting Advocacy, who's discussing a hunter's and angler's guide to climate change. Definitely suggest you check that out at nwf.org 
You're listening to New England Take, WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com.